Welcome to 360 Timmy, the podcast with interesting people in 360 degrees. You can listen on all major music streaming services and watch on YouTube by going to youtube.com forward slash at 360 Timmy. Hi everyone, welcome again to another 360 Timmy. Uh, today we're in Haggerston in East London and my special guest today is Damien Samuels. Hello. Hello. <laughs> welcome Damien. So uh, Damien's an actor of stage and screen. You've probably seen him in many things over the years. He's had roles in Doctor Who, EastEnders, Sherlock, to name but a few. Um, he's also a writer, producer and director. So we're just going to go over his career and uh, the highlights and lowlights, I guess. <laughs> Mostly lowlights. <laughs> <laughs> so where did it all start? Where did um, the acting bug start from? Acting bug started, well, like every actor, I guess, I was the... Uh, sort of star turn in all my school plays and amateur productions and stuff and then I went to drama at university in uh, in Roehampton and um, and uh, that sort of you know was a university course it wasn't really an acting training course and then after we left I just dived head head forward into show business really so you always wanted to be an actor always wanted to be an actor yeah. i always um yeah i think i just loved performing i've got those pictures of me sort of when i'm in sort of three years old dressed as charlie chaplin so i think even from that moment i think i've always loved just dressing up and that's what it sort of acting is it's just dressing up and being silly really and what was the what was the first kind of roles with theater mainly to start with um yeah i mean when i was young we were do um, sort of uh, amateur dramatics, you know, musicals, Oliver, Annie, Joseph, all those kind of things. Um, and then during school, I did plays, and then obviously university did plays. And weirdly, I haven't really done any theatre for nearly 25 years. And I'm desperately, that's the one thing I really want to try and do, sort of, you know, in the next few years, I want to have a a crack at that again but um yeah it's that of, must be great because you get instant audience feedback don't you when you're doing a lot of things for film and tv it's the camera and yeah i think what um i've grown to uh not the one other thing the thing i think about filming is that you it's kind of dull you know you don't you're you're, you're often around for a whole day for a very small moment of time and obviously that's imprinted and there forever and it's wonderful that people see that 20 years on but the actual enjoyment from it in terms of the on the day is not actually that exciting so and I think if you're doing theatre you're getting that buzz from the audience and you're it's the process of going there in the evening and then the kind of come down afterwards and having the drink with your friends and it's a different way of living so but all theatre actors I know want to do film and all film actors want to do theatre so uh, it's kind of a it used to be quite snobby didn't it that if you were in film you wouldn't do TV and that's really changed in recent years isn't it I've even seen Harrison Ford doing TV now that's I think he's the ultimate one I've never seen yeah kind of uh... I mean all we need is Michael Caine in Holby City and then we've got the <laughs> or Coronation Street. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, it's like to have isn't it so what was your first break in um in, in TV or film 
Um, I, um, so I left uni and I was desperately wanting to be an actor. So I thought, and because we hadn't gone to drama school, we weren't sort of given the full, right, you get an agent. And so the very first, it wasn't a break, but it was the very first audition I ever went to was uh, for Ken Russell's Treasure Island. Wow. And I remember it being Pineapple Dance Studios and Ken Russell was there in the middle of the room and we all had to dress as pirates. And we had to go around the room sort of singing hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. And I thought, well, this is fun. This is, this is good. But obviously, I, it, not normal, auditions aren't not normally like that. Um, and they spent a long time doing random shit jobs, like sort of lots of promotional jobs. I was the a carrier bag at the Idle Home Exhibition. I was a, an elf at Santa's Grotto at Selfridges. I do, and then I'd like do occasionally a little short film or a photo shoot. And then slowly, you sort of slowly, then you build up a portfolio and then I got an agent and then I had, you know, jobs like big commercials filming in Austria and and then you just slowly build up a you know a resume and a showreel and then I think I don't know I did EastEnders I think the first I did EastEnders, done EastEnders a few times but uh the first time I think was probably about 1998 so that was yeah you just have to kind of learn you sort of you're like a sponge when you're on set you're kind of you, you, no one ever teaches you this you have to kind of listen and sort of know what's going on because you know when someone says first positions or stand on your marks you think well I don't know what you're talking about you know because no one's taught you that um so I always say uh, to any young actors you know just say yes to doing short films even if they're not paid because it's a great learning experience absolutely and also and sorry and often on short films you're kind of you are around more you're not sort of sitting in a trailer yeah so you are actually watching what's going on and um yeah sorry i get and i guess you get in, in short films like that you get to perhaps suggest things you know changing the script or you know that uh, maybe possibly where you think the character's going a bit more than you can on a bigger um, i wouldn't i wouldn't get carried away with changing anything it's just it's just but you can certainly you know you could certainly suggest things to you know wouldn't it be great if you did this or and uh yeah i mean it's sort of it's often tough with short films or anything that's not improvised is you know they're, they're very tight on budget and and time and time is a currency really so uh you you don't really have much time to to piss about and have fun <laughs> <laughs> now uh one thing that many people will know you from well they probably don't realize it is uh is a pop video uh, basement jacks where's your head at mm. how did that come about um, so I, that was just a regular audition. I think it was 2001. I remember going to the audition uh, and ringing my friend Tim, a different Tim, uh, saying, oh, there's this band called Basement Jacks. I've never heard of them. What do they do? And he explained who they were. And yeah, and I think it was just uh, an improvisation at the audition, just being a band manager and or an A&R guy and I remember at the audition there was two or three big quite big actors there who I'm kind of friends with and I know it was a hot job it was like someone everyone wanted to do it and uh, yeah I got the gig and we filmed it in Prague oh very nice in a converted well it wasn't converted it was an old mental asylum and where they still had some patients on one of the floors. Oh, wow. So you never knew who was an extra and who was real. <laughs> and it was filmed with um, great 
directors called Tractor, um, Swedish guys, um, and they filmed it in sequence, which was highly unusual. So you're, you know, which is lovely when you're making something, you actually go, well, this is happening after that thing happened. Um, and it was with real monkeys. And when you heard the song for the first time, you know, being on the playback, you were like, Ah, this is going to be good. This is something. This is going to be a big song. Uh, it is a classic song, though, isn't it? I want. It's a, yeah, it's, it's, and it won, you know, several awards. MTV. It was always voted the, one of the scariest moments of all time. And weirdly, even though I've got a beard now and I'm older, fatter, redder, balder, I still get recognised from it, and because it's still being played because it's a classic video. Yeah. So, um, and we'll put links to some of these videos in the in the description for for the uh, various pod, uh, various platforms. So uh, I guess the other kind of uh, big highlight was uh, the resurgence of Doctor Who in, uh, in was it 2005? Yeah. That, that first, first season mm. in the role. That was quite unique, wasn't it? Yeah, I wasn't Doctor Who. No, I know you <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, or but, the yeah. <laughs> or, um, or even a Dalek. Yeah. But I, yeah, that was, uh, again, again uh, you, sometimes you know when you get a, an audition, you can feel that there's something special about it. I mean, some of them are sometimes they're awful, but um, so I had the um, the audition with actually with the director who I bumped into a couple of weeks ago, a guy called James Hawes, who currently directs Slow Horses oh, on yes. Apple TV. Yep. He's directed many great things, and he's just directed this wonderful movie, well, which is just premiered at uh, Toronto Film Festival with Anthony Hopkins about a uh, uh, guy that saved loads of kids during the Holocaust. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. And um, he actually I bumped into him and Will Smith the other day. Will Smith, the writer of Slow Horses, who I've known for a long time as well. And um, I, I texted James going, oh, wow, your films, it's lovely to see you. I can't believe the, this amazing film's coming out. And I used to know the exec producer of That's Life, where this clip, the very famous clip of... I remember that. They, they, he was in the audience. He yeah. didn't realise the, the, the children yeah. from the kinder transport, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. And, my, and the executive producer of That's Life is a guy called Richard Wolfe, who I've known since I was a child, a family friend. Uh, Richard actually employed James as a researcher on that. So it's, it's come full circle. He's now made a, you know, a potentially an Oscar-winning film about, um, about this guy. Anyway, so James... Um, was a director at the read through in Cardiff, which I think was December 2004. There was an energy in the room because Christopher Eccleston, Billy Piper, um, John Barrowman, and then also uh, Richard Wilson was in my episodes, but he wasn't actually uh, there on the read through. So I said to the, the producer, said, Would you read in for Richard Wilson? So I had a lot more scenes with Christopher Eccleston than I would have had just to play my character. I asked if I should do the, you know, I don't believe it, but they said, no, 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 no. Um, and there was just an energy in the room. When you were watching Billy Piper and Christopher Eccleston bounce off each other, you thought, ah, oh, this, is, this isn't just Doctor Who. This isn't a continuation of Sylvester McCoy, or this is something very, very special. And, yeah. and uh, yeah, it was a very small part, but it was just delightful to be involved in something, especially with that first series. And I was in two episodes and it was, um, yeah, it was a, it's a lovely thing to be part of because when you, when you meet anyone, they say, oh, you're an actor, what have you been in? 
you know they if you say doctor who anywhere in the world they've heard of it so and it's i mean that could have been the one series and that was it but it was a obviously spurned where we are today it's it's on air it's bigger than ever now isn't it it's yeah there. and and also interesting enough um this is an, another name drop but uh mark gatis who i'm friends with um uh told me years ago that i was the first one of the very first openly outed gay characters in Doctor Who and uh, apparently in Doctor Who magazine a couple of months ago there was an article about you know uh, LGBTQ plus characters in Doctor Who and I got name checked and there was a photo of me wow. <laughs> so uh, yeah did and that's all bit. the way from 2005 I mean yeah <laughs> crikey absolutely so it, it's definitely something I'm very very proud of uh, not that I had anything to do with it but it's to be involved in that first series which yes. is incredible and you've had uh, quite a few experiences some some with some legendary film stars as well so i think you've had sorry, sorry um i think you've had your face slapped by hugh jackman in a lipton iced tea, a lipton yes. tea advert. Uh, several takes i think it was wasn't it uh lipton's iced tea with hugh jackman filmed in budapest um it was again a lovely job you know amazing director amazing team hugh was without doubt one of the nicest actors i've ever worked with just genuinely like was to have lunch with everyone and was very down to earth uh and his kids were on set and it was just a lovely atmosphere and you just you know you know when you're working with decent people who they are i've worked with some do very dodgy actors but they're always often not the stars they're the people that are slightly lower down on the yeah. on the pecking order um yeah so that was amazing working with you and it, that, that was all improvised so we had to get to a certain moments like little hit marks in the script but and that was for me the most fun because i wasn't going on set and being really nervous going oh my god i'm working with wolverine yeah i'm actually improving with wolverine and making him laugh and um, there was loads of stuff we couldn't use because obviously it was a you couldn't mention you know wolverine or certain or the greatest showman or yeah anything like that so i don't even know if he'd done the greatest showman actually at that point totally yeah, had no no <laughs> i think he was just going on to do les miserables so um yeah, he was, he was a lovely guy. Lovely, lovely guy. And you also got to work with Carrie Fisher as well. I did. I worked with Princess Leia. Um, again, that was... <laughs> so I said, my career sounds so much more glamorous in a very short form than it is over the course of 25 years. But um, I... That was filmed in Zagreb in Croatia. Um, it, was a sh it was a feature film, low-budget feature film um called white lightning um <laughs> that, that was a very funny so the audition for that the director i think he was a guy called dominic west um we what we could do is we can continue to victoria park or we could go up these stairs and go back towards broadway market we go back that way okay, yeah. yeah that's good yeah um so did the audition in london and it was just on the, my agent said there was a movie with carrie fisher but we didn't know if she was attached or if she was actually going to do it um, and, and also it was filmed in Croatia, but it was set in the Appalachian Mountains in West Virginia. So she'll, she'll try and cross the road. This will okay, be fun. Yeah. Shall we, uh... This will be a first 360 to me, trying to not get run over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got very lucky there. Um, <laughs> um, uh, yes, where I was, yes, so audition, and he said it's set in the West Virginia. But don't worry, there'll be a, a voice coach on set and you'll be fine we'll tweak your accent so i get to croatia 
I find out that Carrie Fisher's in the movie. So I'm very excited. And I'm in the hotel lobby and I see this guy who is Tim Morris Jones, who's the director of photography on the movie, who is also the director of photography on the Where's Your Head At video. Oh, wow. So I hadn't seen him for a few years, but so the last time I saw him was in Prague, and then I'm seeing him in Zagreb. And I thought, this is so rock and roll, showbiz. <laughs> um, shall we walk on that side? Or, yeah. or, um, and um, so I get to set, and the director said, don't shave. Um, because we think we're gonna have you, you know, sort of with a stubble. Anyway, th then I get to set and the director says, actually, no, we'd like you to shave now, clean shaven. So, so I go into the makeup trailer and it's a very low budget film. So I go into the makeup trailer, which is basically a very basic caravan. And there's a sink and I'm just about to shave, wet shave. And then Carrie Fisher walks in and I'm going, Oh my God, this is Princess Leia. I used to have your little figurine. And I'm like, sort of, this is like, you know, this is every young boy's dream. And she sits down next to me. And I've, at that point in my life, I've never shaved in front of anyone. Yeah. And now I'm shaving in a small caravan <laughs> in front of Princess Leia. And she was amazing. We were chatting and she had loads of stories and she was filth, like very, very good fun. Um, and then I get on the set and there's loads of Croatian extras, all <laughs> meant to be West Virginia, and you could tell they're not West Virginian. And they go, let's shoot the rehearsal. And so the words come out of my mouth, you know, I'm, and I'm speaking this accent. I don't even know if it's the right accent. And they shot it and kept it. And <laughs> that was, I still to this day don't know if that's the correct accent. But anyway, it's in the movie. I remember that distinctly from your show, Will. Is it Priscilla White? The, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. The fair step and feet of Priscilla White or something like that. <laughs> I still don't know if it's, um, it's a very nice restaurant there. Cafe Cecilia, by the way. So, um, yeah, that was fun. It was, again, low budget, sort of, but just good fun, you know. Um, and it was a real honour to work with her. Um, and like Hugh Jackman, just wonderfully charming and you, I don't think you get to those places unless they're in, you're inherently nice yeah because I think uh, you've got to be you can't be an arsehole yeah uh, the whole time yeah well you you hear about that all the time don't yeah. you but I always got the impression though from seeing her on chat shows and everything that she was very down to earth yeah I mean she was outside just chatting with me and there was two other actors and we're just chatting like we were at you know, in a queuing up at a staff canteen in John Lewis or something. I don't know. You know, there's no, it wasn't like I was talking to one of the big Hollywood movie stars who'd come from Hollywood royalty. You know, she was a, a jobbing actor, you know, so. That's um, amazing. Yeah. So you've also, um, another couple of classics you worked on, so you were on of a Feather, the, the, yes. the, the recent series that, that, a couple of years ago. Yeah, that was uh, one of my bigger parts. It was a proper guest starring role. It was nice. It was a, uh, uh the christmas episode and again um the loveliest people um leslie joseph and pauline and linda are, are just amazing and they welcome you into this family and they've been going for like 30 years you know doing that show and they could easily just go oh he's just uh, an actor who's in one episode we don't really need to befriend him and but again it makes the experience so much nicer when and it was a lovely it was a lovely job and we filmed that down in Bournemouth, I think, and somewhere else. And um, yeah, that was just a really, really lovely job. Um, 
That's what that if someone was to ask one of my favourite acting jobs, I think that would be one of them. So, and also we were dealing with um, the exec producer was Humphrey um, Humphrey Barclay, who is proper comedy gold royalty. He was the one that put Monty Python together back in the day, and he is the nicest gentleman. And then I worked with him again on another sitcom um, with John Cleese and Alison Sedman. Um, no idea what the name of After the Sunset or something behind yeah. the sunset. Terrible show, like awful show, the worst script. And it's a shame because it's written by this guy that wrote, you know, with uh, Terry Gilliam and stuff. But um, again, an amazing cast of actors, just Anne Reed and so all these incredible people. But I got to work with John Cleese. But Humphrey was the exec producer of that. And, you know, he, he got me in for the audition. We can go up to Brawl up okay. here. Okay, that was, yep, no um, So, uh, yeah, that was, uh, again, sometimes the actual final product isn't that great, but the experience you have on the, on the, on the show is wonderful. So. I guess that's always sometimes the case, isn't it? Things just don't work out. I mean, that's just... Well, I think with this one, with the birds of a feather read-through, with the table that you do as an actor, you do a table read, and although birds of a feather wouldn't be the kind of show that I would watch at home, there was a warmth and laughter from around the table. Even though the script wasn't, you know, ball-achingly funny, it was... Whereas this Hold the Sunset, the, you could tell we weren't actually getting that many laughs. <laughs> it felt flat, even though there was all these amazing comedy actors working on it, it felt, it didn't feel right. Uh, so also you were in Sherlock? I was in Sherlock, um, very, very tiny part, but, and I also, I kind of nearly didn't want to do it because it was such a small part, but my agent at the time said, darling, it's Sherlock, and she was right. And, um, I knew Amanda Abington because I'd worked with her on a radio show and Martin I'd met um, at the uh, Arsenal many years ago. Um, but the reason, and uh, Mark Gatiss, who I mentioned earlier, he's the exec producer on it. Uh, and also the writer of it, you probably know, um, what's the guy called? Stephen Moffat. Stephen Moffat, yeah. Yep. He wrote my Doctor Who episode. Yeah. And I, when I texted Mark saying, I've just got part in Sherlock, and he went, I know, I cast you. Um, but the great thing about Sherlock was um, two great things. One, the money was good uh, because they showed it in cinemas uh, on Boxing Day. Oh, wow. And that wasn't in the original contract, so yeah. there was a lot more money coming in. But also I grew a beard especially for it because it was Victorian London. And later, I kept the beard, and later that year I met my then-girlfriend, who's now my wife, and I'm convinced if I hadn't have grown the beard, I would never have met her, so it was a blessing in this so all disguise. thanks to Sherlock? All thanks to, yeah, no shit Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's uh, interesting about um, residuals and things like that. I mean, is that, um, you've done quite a bit of work. I guess a lot of, some stuff like Doctor Who will be repeated, you know, in entirety, but I guess that it doesn't regenerate an awful lot of residuals, does it? Or, Good or, word, regenerate with Doctor Who, is yeah. It? yeah. <laughs> um, um, it does, actually. Doctor, it certainly did for a while. I don't know if it's kind of lessened. I, I think a lot of the old contracts you, you did, obviously now with what's going on with the writer's strike and, and the actor's strike, you know, there's a lot of repeat fees and stuff that actors aren't getting paid for. Yeah. So I think, like, when I used to, when I, fairly, when I went to my very first commercial audition, I met older actors who were sitting there saying I bought my house based on a from a Guinness commercial you know that just doesn't happen now you know there's very few big pay jobs you either got to do a lot of jobs to earn the sort of money you used to earn or you have to, or you get very lucky one particular campaign 
but in terms of TV, unless you're the major star and you're a reoccurring role and you're in every block being filmed, it's not great dosh, yeah. you know, so. And that's, I mean, that's a, thing, a theme with acting, isn't it? Because you can be on something like EastEnders or Doctor Who and everyone assumes you're driving around in a Mercedes and living the high life, but you know, you might be out of work for six months before the next uh, job comes along. Well, that's before. true. I mean, I've got actor friends who are, have been incredibly successful, like in major Hollywood shows, and now they haven't worked for several years. You know, and unless you're good with money and you save money and you're, or you have an alternative job or you, you know, it's, I, I always say to younger kids who might want to be actors, I say, it's, acting's a lifestyle choice. It's not a job. Yeah. So you have to be prepared for massive lows and sometimes not working for a year or two, you know. And also as an actor, uh, you are, a, you're kind of a puppet, a piece of meat, somebody else, which is why I went on to make my own short films, is that I, I wanted to be the captain of the ship. I didn't want to be just that person waiting for a job, you know. And I guess you talked about the actor strike, so at the moment there'll be people who haven't been working for months. Um, well, I, I tell you what's really sad is that as an actor, you're always on strike until you get a job. <laughs> but. I, what is, I went down to Shepperton Studios the other day because um, um, there, there's a post-production company that I've been working with on, because they're all sitting there waiting for a film project to come in. So they've helped me do some grade on, a, on my wedding video. And um, we went to Shepperton and it was so quiet. It was empty, like there was nothing going on. It was so sad. And then the other day on Facebook, a friend of mine put a, friend, a post up for a friend who's a unit driver who drives actors to set and he hasn't worked for months. He does major TV shows here and he's offering himself up for airport runs. And for me, I know it's sad for actors and writers, but it's all the, like in lockdown with COVID, it was the little coffee shop owners who were next to the big office blocks who were suffering. So it's all the people in catering, it's the hair, the makeup, the costume, the drivers, it's the knock on effect. And they're, they're the ones that aren't on strike you know so uh, and no doubt their pay will probably be the same when they go back to work so and of course the reason for the strike is this thing about AI uh, I was talking to a voiceover artist the other day and he was saying that he'd, he'd done some work for a video game um, he, wrote, he read several lines when the, ga the game came out his voice was was a couple of bits of dialogue that he didn't do they, they must have AI'd Right. In between. So this is what it's about, isn't it? It's the fact that they, you know, you wouldn't be called back. They could just AI some scenes that they don't True. And then there was always a joy uh, when you were asked to come in and do ADR that you felt, oh, that's some extra money. Yeah. You know, and then sometimes you go in for a second, you know, whether it was the birds of a feather or uh, Lipson's iced tea. And if it was art, even if it was one word, they would get you in and you'd end up with, you know, a couple of hundred quid or whatever, but that was always help towards your acting income. Now, if they've already got your voice and they can go, well, we can cheat that. We don't need to get him to come in. We don't need to book a studio. Then, yeah, that's gonna have a knock-on effect for sure. Yeah. I don't know where, how they stop that, because you know, who will know, apart from the actor themselves, who will say, I never said Famalama Fizzfadge, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, they've used AI uh, more recently to bring or make characters look younger in, in terms of like Harrison Ford in Indiana mm. Jones. Carrie Fisher was brought yes. back because she hadn't filmed certain scenes in her last film you know, when she sadly died. So there's, there's yeah, I, I, I don't, I it. don't mind. I think like you know when they, you know when Oliver Reed and Gladiator and stuff like that. I think there's very good reasons for using it and the de-aging and aging process. I think that's quite fun, but. Uh, 
I think to not to have the actor there at all is, yeah, you know, or, or, or worse, the writer. I think getting rid of the creatives is, is uh, potentially very dangerous. You know. So we talked a lot about acting, but also you're a writer, producer, and director, and you. Mm. Directed, uh, you've written one, well, written three short films, I believe, and filmed two. I I think I've only done two, you, but there's one on in, uh, there's one on IMDb. That's, that's, that's what not, I'm referring to. <laughs> I did my research, but, um, uh, but I, obviously I do. I was um, partially involved <laughs> with Fish with assembling your your initial. Yes, footage, you so, did the uh, assemble edit. So yeah. this was your first uh, short film. Yeah, the, the third one. I don't know who that is, but I'm taking credit because it looks good. <laughs> um, Fish was the first short film. It was uh, me and one of my good friends, Mark Eccleston. Um, we originally came up with the idea for a competition for a film festival for Soho House. And we didn't get into the competition and we didn't win. And we thought, well, let's just make it anyway. And neither of us had any, Mark was a well-known film critic. I was an actor. Neither of us had any idea about the making of a film. Um, and it was one of the hardest and most difficult projects I've ever done. But I loved it so much that I did a second one. Um, but it was a, it's a real learning process. We'll go left here and then yeah. work way back down to Broadway Market. Um, so, yeah, it's a real learning process. So I remember you telling me the synopsis on Fish before you even uh, started filming it, and right. I just laughed out loud. I, I just, um, <laughs> I just, you, you, you could say it in, I think it was one minute, 30 seconds, you told me the premise of it. Yes. Incredibly funny. It's uh, basically a chef that wants to enter the Fish Chef of the Year Award, and the night before a competition, he meets a mermaid in a deserted swimming pool, and then ends up sleeping with her for fish, basically. And then he has to decide at the end of the movie, uh, what he's going to do because he ends up feeding her prize fish but we let the audience make up the ending um but it's yeah it was really good fun and we did it on a quite a you know quite a good level yeah. you know for a first short film because we you know, we didn't go in and just i always think you know there's a lot of short films where it's just two guys on a bench talking dogs barking in the background and then that's it but we decided to have a mermaid in our first short film which is and an underwater camera and uh you know, so yeah, you um, did have. I mean, I remember at the time. I think you had a red camera, which was quite was quite unique at the time. And, yeah, you know that, and you, there was quite a cast really, and, and some, you know, art director. Uh, we, can get, we can cut through that here, kind of stuff. You, you know, it's a full production, wasn't it? It wasn't just you and a couple of people with. No, I always feel like if you're going to do it, you've got to do it properly. Yeah, and there was catering, <laughs> and uh, uh, there's um, we can just cut through that way there. But um, yeah, there's. Um, yeah, it, it felt like a proper deal. I think it's because we knew that we'd been on other projects and I always feel like if you give actors who aren't necessarily getting paid to do a short film some sandwiches or they're not happy, but if you give them an apple crumble and a shepherd's pie, suddenly it's a, a different atmosphere on set. And it was great. I mean, the John Lee, who was our director of photography on Fish, um, that was one of, I think it was only his second short film and quite a youngish guy at the time. He then on, he went on to be the DOP of uh, The Bodyguard, that Keely Hawes show. So, wow. you know, so every, and also Christian Black, who was on that, who was our stills photographer. Uh, he's the go-to stills photographer for all the Mission Impossible films. So works with Tom Cruise all the time. So I always think they're a good ground for everyone like if you look back if i look back at all the short films i've been in over the years as an actor you look through the crew and a lot of them have gone on to some amazing things yeah. so it's a 
important thing to do, I think, as a, from an actor or a crew point of view. It's, um, and your second film, I guess you learned a lot of lessons. It was on a much bigger scale, longer. Um, the, the Five Wives and Lives of... <laughs> Go on. Pfefferberg. No. Ne nearly. nearly. Yeah. The Five Wives and Lives of Melvin Pfefferberg. That's it. That's uh, it. <laughs> I wanted to make it really hard for Germans to say. So it was <laughs> just, <laughs> there, there we go. There you yeah. go. It was just my little dig back <laughs> for all the years. No, it was... Um, interestingly enough, the surname of the Pfefferberg came from when I was watching actually Schindler's List. And um, we, we knew that originally the working title of the film was The Eight why originally it was called the all-you-can-eat lady buffet uh, which would have been cancelled now for saying yes, that yes it uh, then it was called the eight wives and lives of harry cohen and then it became the five wives and lives of melvin pfefferberg pfefferberg because it was a name from schindler's list and melvin because mel brooks is my hero and i just wanted to give a little nod to him and yeah like you said i, I wanted to be more ambitious than the first film it was bigger it was it was three times as long um much a bigger crew five-day shoot we shot at Pinewood Studios um, there was lots of stuff going on so you had to get finance for that as well and funding. we had to get yeah we did half half we did private finance from um, our friends at Ajar Tech Andrew and Jim who also exec produced the first film yeah uh, but then also had to kind of match their budget so we did a Kickstarter and we did that um, again which was one another hard project but it was so worth it because suddenly you had a an audience, a ready-made audience, you know, of people that have helped out. Um, so, and you, uh, and you had a big name for the soundtrack. We did. We had um, Mel C, Sporty Spice, from the Spice Girls. Um, I knew that I wanted to have a big. I wanted to have a, a Bond-style credit sequence uh, mixed with animation that was like sort of from around the world in eighty days. Those kind of Pink Panther films, and then I wanted to have a named singer. Um, and we started off, we, we tried a couple of people. We started off with, I think we wanted, we wanted someone very British, a British voice you would recognize. Yeah. So we nearly got Lily Allen, and then we nearly got Adamant, and then we nearly got uh, Jarvis Cocker, but eventually none of those things worked out. But then I wrote to Mel's, I'd met her once at a party. I had met her many, many years ago when she was with the Spice Girls. Met her at a party at the Brit Awards. And I wrote to her manager, Nancy, and I said, look, we've got this film, we've got the, here are the lyrics of the song. This is Tim, uh, who wrote the song from, from the band Think. This is him singing it. We'd love, we want an iconic voice, and we think Mel, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I wrote to her and didn't hear anything back. And then I wrote again a few weeks later, saying, if this is something you consider, we really want to talk to you. And I always think a lot of people give up after, mind the bike series, you need to, yeah. yeah. No a lot of people, um, give up after the first email. And I think it's so important to send that second email because that shows real keenness. Yeah. Uh, and she wrote back straight away and said, actually, this is something, if you can give us a few more weeks, this is something that we're thinking about. And I thought, oh my God. And then it was the night after Soho House Festival where I was so hungover. I mean, literally, <laughs> in my mouth was so dry. I got the email from them saying, we're going to do it. And I leaped out of bed and rang it. And it was one of the most exciting things because... Best cure for a hangover. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your best cure for a hangover. Get a Spice Girl to say yes. Um, so... To the song. Yeah. <laughs> yes, obviously. And it was so giddy. When we, record, we recorded, I actually, bizarrely, it all comes around because Felix, who's in Basement Jacks, um, uh, he actually makes a cameo in the film. He's in the dating sequence. 
and um, I asked him if we could use their recording studio to do the song and he said yes 100% so so it all came full circle so um, and Mel did the song she did it in a few takes and she was wonderful like wonderful bizarrely I think a year or two later she started having this renaissance and and I don't know if we would have got her I think we just got that perfect timing of you know her not doing that much at that moment um you might have you might have might have been the spark for that it might have been you know seriously i mean just her being in the studio recording again it might have you know just she might have just gone ah yeah there's something i want to do this again so um, and she she came to our film premiere as well so she and you know she tweeted out the film and stuff so she was she backed it and and bless her she didn't ask for any money at all she was just just up for it and uh and she was really wonderful and it gives it that extra gravitas you know when you've got people and it made everyone else who'd been involved in the film whether it was crew or actors or the people that are given five pounds on the kickstarter it made it it validated it for them as well and you toured that on many festivals i think it won a couple uh, of awards didn't it as well yeah it won a couple of awards it won a one in America, like best fantasy film, and in Rhode Island, I think it was. It won. It, we played quite a few festivals all over the world in Japan. We had a wonderful screening in Italy, um, where they loved. It. I mean, it, and also, it, what's so wonderful about it is a virtually a silent film. So the laughs, the comedy, You're not the they, it gets laughs in the same places in all the countries. Is that? I, I'm, I'm a curious question here because I've watched a lot of uh, short comedy films. They don't have a lot of dialogue in. Is that because it does a worldwide tour of festivals and it's, is that what it's about? Or is it, uh, is it just the comedy aspect? For me, I think, yeah, I think for me, I wanted to make a film that kids and adults could watch and laugh at the same things or different things, but, um, and also in different countries. And, you know, you go back to, I'm not comparing myself to Charlie Chaplin, but you go back to Laurel and Hardy and Charlie Chaplin and these wonderful, they were always put Mr. Bean as well, very popular around the world. Benny, you know, Benny Hill, you know, it's just like, I know it's not the woke thing to say Benny Hill's wonderful, but he, the, the comedy timing of some of these things are just pure magic, yeah. you know? And um, so, yeah, it was in the back of my mind that if we can make someone in Japan and Italy laugh at the same joke, then yeah. we've, the job's done really. So, any, um, would you like to do another um, short film? Um, I said no originally because the amount of effort that goes into uh, a short film uh, is, especially the last one, it felt like we could have made a feature film. Yeah. The budget we had, the amount of actors we had, the crew we had. Um, and I don't know if the payoff, the work involved, is, as, is good enough for the payoff that you get back. Having said that, <laughs> after a few years of not having made one, I am going to do one next year. Um, and I've got, I won't say what the idea is now. But um, yeah, I've really, it's the first idea that I've written that I'm actually really excited about. And uh, I'm hoping to do that early next year. So. Well, I'm very excited to hear about that when that comes mm. up. We'll, uh, so what, just to say that the links to Damien's um, two short films will be also on the description on the various podcast platforms as well. Um, finally, Damien, what's... Uh, What's the future hold for you then? What are you up to now? What's, uh, where do you see yourself in five years? Um, well, I, I still like acting, but I, I've decided to um, not do it as, 
uh, <laughs> as much in terms of I, I, I will do it when when it comes in when it's the right thing I'm not letting it rule my life because I always find that uh, it, it it's it's a way it, it kind of I don't know suffocates you slightly because you're not you have to be available the whole time yeah so I've got a little business that I run um, that's a seasonal business I will be making short films there's another couple of projects I'm working on at the moment and it's just having a trying to find a nice balance of having uh, of travel and having lots of time drinking tequila on sun lounges uh, so yes you're very much enjoying life now I, I want to say thank you very much for today. pleasure you you said um, before I came out on this my life's very dull this has been one of the longest 360 Timmy's we've ever done because there's just so much great material well so. also you know you never find an actor who doesn't want to talk about themselves no, exactly, I guess but no you are particularly fascinating and, and thank you so much for today great. oh my Head pleasure so nice to see you. and I love your shirt by the thank way thank you that's good yeah 360 Timmy shirts uh, see you again soon bye-bye Remember, you can watch the video version of this podcast on youtube.com forward slash at 360 Timmy. Episodes are available in regular or 360 view. More links on 360timmy.com.